Thank you guys so much for being part of that. And good morning, Grace. Hey, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Acts. So if you have a Bible, grab it. If you don't, there should be plenty scattered in the pew backs in front of you. And let's turn to the very opening chapter in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. You want that? It's all yours. Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to be as we continue in our sermon series on prayer, entitled Teach Us to Pray. I hope that you're there. I'm going to ask that you do this. Would you stand with me as we read the Word of God together? If you are able, would you please stand? We're going to read Acts chapter 1, 1 through 14. This is the Word of the Lord. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up before them, before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath's day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And this is a reading of God's holy word. Would you be seated, please? Father, I pray now that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing to you, that you would speak through me, your holy word, to your blood-bought people. We ask it in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. At the turn of the 19th century, there was a roof of a little Swiss church that was in serious need of repair. And so the congregation would come together regularly and hold prayer meetings in that little room, of course, to pray for funds for the roof. Now, as the story goes, there was an old man in the church who was known for being, well, sort of tight-fisted, even by Swiss standards, and so he would regularly come to the prayer meetings. However, he would leave uh, early, having sat in the back before the collection plate came around. And so one Sunday during the prayer meeting, a piece of the roof providentially fell and smacked him on the head. He felt it was a sign from the Lord. And so he stood up and said, Lord, I will give you a 100,000 Swiss, Swiss francs. At that, a voice was heard from the back of the church saying, Hit him again, Lord. Hit him again. 
Well, this morning, we're going to focus our efforts on Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, at what you could very likely and reasonably call the first church prayer meeting. It's long been believed and asserted that the health, the vitality, the usefulness of a church hinges upon whether or not it gathers regularly for prayer. The British pastor Charles Spurgeon, known as the Prince of Preachers, once said this, He said, the condition of the church may be very accurately gauged by its prayer meetings. So is the prayer meeting a graceometer, and from it we may judge the amount of divine working among a people. If God be near a church, it must pray, and if he be not there, one of the first tokens of his absence will be a slothfulness in prayer. And so what does corporate prayer, the corporate prayer life of the early church, then indicate about God's movement in the early church and about its condition. The same could be asked about Grace Bible Church. What does our prayer gatherings indicate about our condition and about God's movement among us? This morning, as we focus our efforts on verses 12 and 13 and 14, I simply want to make four observations about the first prayer meeting that I think we can learn from and apply. First of all, I want to see who was praying. Who was praying, verses 12 and 13. Next, I want to look back a little bit at the context in chapter 1 to discover what they prayed about and why it was that they were praying. What did they pray for? Why were they driven to prayer? And then fourth, we'll focus our efforts on verse 14 to see a little bit about how they prayed. So let's begin in verse 12. Who was praying? Who was praying? In these opening verses, we see the participants in the first church prayer meeting. Verse 12, again, then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. And then we get a list of the twelve apostles, of course, minus Judas Iscariot. And so notice uh, the first word in verse 12, then. Then Luke uses this to show us that this return to the city of Jerusalem happened after some other event. Well, all you have to do is look back into chapter 1 and you quickly see what other event or events That was. So take a look in your Bible, starting in verse 4. We see the post-resurrected Jesus instructing his disciples to remain in the city of Jerusalem until what? Until the promised Holy Spirit would come upon them. In verse 6, notice, they ask him a question. When are you going to restore? Is, Is this the time when the kingdom of God will be restored through the people of Israel? And we see Jesus' response starting in verse 7. He essentially says to them, uh, in my language, none of your business. That's essentially what he says. It's none of your business, right? You have a mission. And starting in verse 8, he says, your mission is that you will be my witnesses. Starting here in Jerusalem, going out ultimately to the ends of of the earth. Then in verse 9, we see Jesus ascending into heaven. We see an angelic promise that he would one day return in in the same manner in which he left. And so then, verse 12, then they returned to Jerusalem to obey Jesus, to wait 
for the promised Holy Spirit. Continuing then into verse 13, we get a list of the original 12 disciples. And in verse 14, we also see that there were others involved in this prayer meeting, particularly the women who accompanied and supported Jesus during his ministry. They were present, his mom. And did you notice the detail that his brothers were there? That's an interesting detail because we learn in the Gospels that his brothers did not believe that he was the Messiah. They did not believe uh, until he was raised from the dead. That's pretty good evidence, right? Until he was raised from the dead that he indeed was the Messiah, the Son of God. And so now they have become his followers and they join in in this first prayer meeting. What I, what I don't want us to miss in verse 14 is the primacy that prayer receives in the life of the early church. In fact, John Polhill, in his commentary, writes this. Notice, he says, verse 14 is often viewed as the first of the summaries in Acts. That is, those passages where, where Luke gave a general review of the activity of the Christian community. He writes, the primary characteristic that marked their life together in this period was what? It was prayer. As they anticipated together the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. Prayer, he says, was the hallmark of the church in its earlier days. Friends, why is it that prayer is not a hallmark of the church in these days? Next, we see not only who is praying, but let's look backward in our text a little bit to see why they were praying. Verse 14, verse 14, they all joined together constantly in prayer. And so we know that they prayed, right? But, but the question that, I, that remains in my mind is twofold. Why did they pray and what did they pray about? Well, Luke doesn't tell us explicitly, but I think the context as we move backwards into chapter 1, I think we've got a pretty good hint to the answer to both of these questions. It seems obvious to me that the reason why they were praying was because they lacked the power necessary to complete the mission that Jesus had given them. They had been given a mission, but they didn't have fuel for the mission. Recall with me what Jesus told him in verse verse 4. He says, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. Recall also in verse 8, but you will receive what? Power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so I believe their prayers, this, this first prayer meeting, seem to be driven from a deep sense of both personal and corporate need. That is, they lacked the power to do what God had called them to do. And so what, what did they do? What was the only thing they could do? Pray. They prayed for that power to come. Friends, I would suggest that what drove the first disciples to their knees to pray together is the very same reason that we here at Grace must be driven to our knees together as well. Friends, we need the Spirit's power to accomplish the mission that we have been given as a church. A church that prays together is a church that recognizes our utter dependence upon God. If anything of eternal significance is going to happen here at this church, we must pray. If anything supernatural is going to occur here, we must pray. We are incapable of doing anything of eternal significance without God's power. A church 
that doesn't pray is a church that depends on, well, something else. And friends, churches all over the world and all over the country and maybe even here at Grace, we depend, we trust in our own resources. This is what human beings do. And so it's easy for us as a church to say, we've got great ministries here. And we do. And it's easy for us to say, we've got great pastors here. Maybe. <laughs> we've, got, we've got a great staff. We've got wonderful music. We've got great demographics. We've got a, a bank account that's, that's, that's looking good, right? And all of these things. But friends, what is it that we are trusting in? That is the question. And if we're trusting in anything else, then we're not going to pray. But if we're trusting in God, guess what we're going to do? We're going to pray. Daniel Henderson asserts that corporate prayer is, quote, the acid test on whether we use tools or we depend upon them. So what do we do here at Grace? John Franklin, in his wonderful book, and it's called And the Place Was Shaken. He writes this. He says, The greatest workings of God come by corporate prayer. And we will not see the power of God in sufficient measure to transform the world around us until we pray together. Friends, that's why the first church prayed. They recognized they had a mission, but they didn't have the power. And that moves us to what they were praying for. Specifically, I want us to look at verse 8. What they were praying for. If the why of their prayer meeting was power divine enablement from the Holy Spirit, I would suggest that the what of their prayer meeting was what I'll call Great Commission Mission. I believe that their prayer meeting was mission-minded, that it was Great Commission-oriented, that it was witness-shaped. It was driven by the realization that Jesus had left them a task to do. In fact, it's fascinating to me that if you were to read through uh, the Gospels and the book of Acts, All of them, or maybe three out of the four, depending upon how you see the ending of the Gospel of Mark, all four or five of these books, in some way, shape, or form, we see Jesus giving the church its mission. So we just saw it here in Acts chapter 1, didn't we? Verse 8. He says, and you will be my what? I can't hear you. You will be my what? Witnesses. You will be my witnesses. You will testify about what I have done. Matthew twenty eight eighteen. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Luke 24, verse 47. Jesus says that repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And then he says, you are witnesses of these things. See some similar themes going on? John chapter 20, verse 21. Jesus tells his disciples, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And so it was a joint sense of mission that brought these first disciples together to pray. And friends, it's that same sense of mission that should bring us as Jesus' disciples today together to pray. Andrew Murray, he was a South African writer, teacher, pastor. He spoke of the connection between prayer and missions. He wrote this. He said, the man who... The man who mobilizes the Christian church to pray will make the greatest contribution to world evangelization in history. In other words, if we want to impact the world, we need to begin with prayer. Charles Spurgeon, again, the prince prince of preachers, he, he once said this. He said, I would rather teach one man to pray than ten men to preach. And so there is this link in the scriptures between mission and prayer. 
brothers and sisters in Christ, this is and will be on the docket at our prayer meetings at Grace. We pray for evangelism here in our community. We pray for those that we think are lost in our family, in our neighborhoods. We pray for the gospel to go forth. We pray for our ministries. We pray for our missionaries. Our prayer meetings have been and will be mission-minded. And so we've seen who prayed, we've seen why they prayed, we've seen what they pray for, but now I want to sort of hunker down a little bit in verse 14. So if you have your Bible, we'll be focusing our efforts a little more in depth on verse 14 as we transition to how they prayed. Can we learn something from how this first prayer meeting went? I I think we can. Verse 14 Again, they all join together, the NIV writes, constantly in prayer. I would suggest that this first prayer meeting was marked by two characteristics. First of all, it was marked by unity. It was marked by unity. And then second of all, it was marked by what I'll say devotion. Unity and devotion. The first, unity, it has to do with the manner in which they prayed. The second, devotion, has to do with the amount of times they prayed. Unity and devotion. Let's begin with unity. Verse 14, the idea of unity is found in the words translated by the NIV. It says they all, and it says joined together. Do you see that translation there? They all joined together. Now here's a funny looking word that I'd like to show you. There it is. Anybody can read that? I know Herb can and maybe another. Um, it's a Greek word. I'm not going to try to pronounce it lest somebody laugh at me. But it, it, this, this word in Greek can simply mean to be together. We can move on from the funny letters. It can simply mean to be together. That's the word translated. They all joined together. In other words, it can simply mean that there's a group of people and they come together, right? And, and so, for instance, as you move on in the book of Acts, you recall the stoning of Stephen, right? There was a group of of Jews that came together. Same word. They they came together to, to stone Stephen. Remember, there was a riot in the city of Ephesus a little bit later in Acts, and Paul was there. And so there's a group of probably hundreds of people that come together in the same place. That's the same word, right? This word in Greek. They join together. So what I'm saying is that fundamentally, sort of at a at a basic level, there was a unity of presence. There was a unity of presence. In other words, quite simply, they showed up at the same place and at the same time. Does that make sense? They were together, right? And we can learn from this. For us to pray corporately, it must begin, well, with bodies being in the same building together at the same time, right? That's that's the, the fundamental start of a prayer meeting. We show up at the same place at the same time together. Friends, we do this the last Sunday of every month at Grace Bible Church. Usually we meet here, sometimes we meet in my office, but we do it here the last Sunday of every month. And I'd like to invite you to come every other, every last Sunday of the month. Because guess what? That's where it begins. You have to show up, right? You show up at the same place at the same time. So there is a unity of presence. But not only that, it goes beyond that, because secondly, there was a unity of purpose. A unity of purpose. Um, this Greek word, which I won't try to pronounce, it can also have the nuanced meaning, and as I think it does here, of not simply coming together, like physically coming together, but it, it can mean something like to, to be of one mind or of one purpose, right? It, it speaks of, of a united group coming together for the same goal, for the same purpose. In fact, 
And in fact, you can see there on the screen, the ESV translation, translation sort of picks up this nuance. It says, these all, and then what does it say? With one accord, right? These all, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. So think of it this way. It's one thing for a group of people to show up in the same room and to be together. That's one thing. But it's another thing altogether for those same people to show up in the same room and to all agree on, in purpose, right? To all be there for the same reason. To all think the same things. Just look at a session of Congress if you want an illustration of this, right? Are they together in the same room? Yeah, they are. Are they of the same mind? No, they're not. And some family reunions are like this as well, right? But moving on. Um, so it's, it's not just about being together, they were united sing, with, with single-minded purpose to pray, to pray for power, to pray for the mission. Once again, Franklin in his book, he talks about how unity is a catalyst for prayer meetings. He writes this. He says, having, having the same heart passion and united purpose fans the flame of group prayer. I don't know if you caught this, but Beth mentioned that in the interview. We are coming together, not just to be in the same place, but we are united in hearts and in, in, in our mind. But not only that, there's, there's a third sense of unity expressed here in verse 14. They were united in their activity. It says they all joined together constantly towards what end? Why were they there? To play bingo? I like bingo, right? It's fun. But that's not why they were there. They were there. They all joined together constantly in prayer. It's interesting because when you look at other gatherings of the church in the book of Acts, um, they sometimes, in fact, oftentimes, they gathered together and they did other things other than prayer. They prayed, but they did other things as well. They, uh, they heard from the teachings of the apostles. Uh, and they, they shared meals together. They shared communion together. And so... Other times in the book of Acts, the church gathers, and they do other things. But what was the sole purpose for this meeting? Prayer. Prayer was the lone agenda on the docket. John Onwuchikwa, again in his wonderful book, simply entitled Prayer, writes about the prayer meeting. I think we've got the quote. It says, in Acts, Christians regularly gathered for prayer. Why is it that this kind of prayer is absent in many of our churches today? There should be routine times in the lives of our churches when we gather for the sole purpose of praying. This is different than praying during the corporate worship, but it's just as necessary. He writes, prayer during corporate worship is the potatoes to the stake of the preached word. In the prayer meetings, however, the roles are reversed. Now our prayer with one another becomes what? It becomes the main dish, right? It's, it's what we are there for. And so we see the first thing about how they prayed is what? They prayed um, with unity. They were together, they were united in purpose, and they were united in the sole activity of praying together. But, but not only do we see the characteristic of unity, but finally, we see a characteristic of devotion. Take a look again at verse 14, if you will. It says, they all join together constantly in prayer. They all join together constantly. The second aspect we see about how they prayed is how often they came together 
for prayer. The New American Standard translates it, they continually devoted themselves to prayer. Simply put, this gathering to pray was not a one-time thing. It was not, to use musical language, I guess, a one-hit wonder, right? It wasn't a blip on the screen of the life of the early church. It was regular. It was repeated. In fact, the Greek word here, proskartareo, which is translated constantly, or they were devoted to this, it means to persevere in some activity, to keep doing it over and over and over again, to be devoted to it, to do it regularly, to do it repeatedly. And this Greek word, if you were here with us last week, should sound vaguely familiar because we were in Romans chapter 12, verse 12, where Paul commands, Paul commands the church corporately to be faithful in prayer, or some translations, to be devoted to prayer. Guess what? It's the same Greek word. In other words, we see the early church practicing what Paul would later command the church to do. Does that make sense? Paul later, to the church of Rome, says this must be something that you do as a church. And guess what? The early church, they intuitively did it. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. They were devoted to it. And so we need to ask, is this something that we at Grace are devoted to? Are we devoted to it? You know, um, there are lots of things in our lives, rightly so, that we are devoted to. Good things, many of them. Right things. We're devoted to our spouse. We're devoted to our children. We are devoted to um, our jobs or our careers. We're devoted to our grandchildren. We're devoted to some, some of us, our hobbies, right? We're devoted to these things. And that's all well and good. But friends, is there room in your box to which things you are devoted to for corporate prayer? Is there room in your personal box to be devoted to corporate prayer? There must be. There must be. And so we see that the early church regularly gathered to pray together. So we're going to close our sermon before we close in song with a little fictitious obituary. A little fake, and you'll catch it pretty quickly, a fake obituary entitled Mrs. Prayer Meeting. It goes like this. Mrs. Prayer Meeting died recently at the first neglected church on Worldly Avenue. Born many years ago in the midst of great revival, she was a strong, healthy child, fed largely on testimony and the pursuit of holiness. Soon she grew into worldwide prominence. She was one of the most influential members of the famous church family. But for the past several years, sister prayer meeting has been failing in health, gradually wasting away until rendered helpless by stiffness of knees, until her death was caused through lukewarmness and coldness of heart. Lack of spiritual food, coupled with a lack of faith, shameless desertion of her friends and non-support were, were also contributing factors to her death. Only a few were present at her funeral, sobbing over memories of her beautiful and wonderful past. Carefully selected pallbearers were asked to bear her remains tenderly away, but they failed to appear.
Her body rests in a beautiful cemetery of bygone memories and bygone glories. Friends, let me just make a pastoral, passionate plea. Let's not let Mrs. Prayer Meeting die at Grace Bible Church. Can we do that? Let's not let her die. She did not die in the first century. And let's not let her die in the 21st century. Let's pray. Father, we pray now that you would poke and prod the depths of our hearts and that you would, for those of us who have faith in Christ, who have been born again through your grace shown to us through the life, the perfect, obedient life of Jesus and his death bearing our sins and his powerful resurrection to give us both new and eternal life. For those of us who have experienced that, may your spirit stir in us a hunger to pray with the church of God. Father, I pray for a man or a woman or a boy or a girl here that they have not trusted in Jesus personally, that they would even now in this moment cry out, cry out and trust in him and in him alone for their salvation, that they would become a part of the church, the body of Christ, and that they too would join in with the prayer meeting. We ask it in God's, Jesus' name, and God's people said together, amen. Stand and sing.